Well, we are going to uh, get into God's Word this morning, and uh, I, I just want to, I guess, prepare us for what God would do, and sometimes we come to God's Word, and we, we listen again, and um, it, it's just another sermon, another Sunday, but I really ask that you would be prayerful during this time as we look to the book of Nehemiah. We're in this series called Rebuilding and Restoring, uh, Rebuilt and Restored, about what God would do in our hearts through these lessons that we learn through these uh, Old Testament characters who served God, who had faith in God, who led, who modeled things for us. And so we're in this book of Nehemiah. Um, in chapter 5, we've, we've seen that, that Esther used her position uh, boldly, kind of as an even-if attitude before the king, that she would go, um, and no matter what happened, she would serve God and, and use where she was put. We saw that Ezra... Um, was devoted to the law and reforming the people and tasked with rebuilding the temple. Um, and then, of course, in Nehemiah, he has this wall, this ruins, this destruction that he's tasked with leading these people to rebuild and restore. And he does that through many different ways. He does that by modeling prayer. And as we'll see this morning, he does that by modeling generosity. So with that, I want to read this, this narrative, if you will, in chapter 5. And I want to read verses 1 through 15 kind of the background here. Uh, people have come from exile, gathered into uh, Jerusalem, the city again, and people are starting to get a little comfortable, and things are kind of taking shape, and Nehemiah is pretty outraged at, by the injustice that he sees happening around him. So this is what it says. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, for there were those who said, with, with our sons and daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for other men have our fields and our vineyards. These people are being taken advantage of. And Nehemiah says this, I was very angry when I heard their outcry to these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought, bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell our brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so that he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. This is modeling his generosity here. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers 
ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. Listen to this. But I, Nehemiah, did not do so because of the fear of God. I want to pray. This is a lot in this story, this account of Nehemiah seeing this injustice, this outcry of these people, him standing in the gap for them, and him being a leader that modeled generosity, that modeled this kind of heart for people and for God. And so I invite you to pray, and I will pray for us collectively that the Holy Spirit will move in such a way that that we are prompted to act on what we've heard. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word. We thank you for it. We pray that we would be a people that understand it better and act on it. We thank you most of all for the gracious gift of your son, Jesus, that we have life in his name because of your goodness and love to us. And we praise you for him. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, I believe some things. Number one, I believe that God is a generous God. He is most gracious when he doesn't need to be and certainly merciful when he doesn't need to be. He is God. He is completely perfect and righteous and holy, and he is generous, and because of his grace, he has given us Christ. I also believe that the Bible teaches that God's people ought to be the most generous people that walk the face of the earth. Because of that, I also believe that God wants me, I'm pointing at me, to be generous in my own life and lead my family in modeling graciousness and generosity. But I also believe that God wants our church to be generous. I believe he wants us to be an example of that in a world that is not so generous because of his great and generous grace. Those are truths that I find when I run into the study of God's word, from looking to it, from flipping through its pages, and I see it displayed over and over again. And so it is here in the book of Nehemiah. He is this compassionate and humble and prayerful and generous leader to his people that saw injustice and he went into it and led through it. Now today is also Orphan Sunday, a Sunday that that the church comes around the ministry of orphan and foster care that you heard about, and we kind of rally around that and get this idea. And the tendency for us as a people is to kind of say, man, that's like, that's heart-wrenching, or Amy says that's overwhelming. We're like, man, that's a really terrible thing. But we don't often think about it in a way that causes us action. And these are things that, that Jesus spoke about to take care of these children. These are things that the book of James remind us this is the form of true and perfect and pure religion that we care for widows and orphans. And so this is generosity and action is what Seeds of Hope means to me. In a gospel-centered way, when people open their homes to take kids in. And I just want you to think about that. Not a guilty way, but just to think about how you could have a part in that. Today is also the Sunday after an American election for an American president, which in our country, as you know, is super divided right now. And so we need to be a light into that. So much I could say, so much I don't even want to say right now, but in a summary statement, and some of you can be free to disagree with this, this nation, even in the church, is showing its true form of greed and the idolatry of comfort more than anything else. And that has crept into the church 
So much so that Jesus followers, or I'll just say Christian evangelicals, which is a term that I don't even know what that means anymore. I mean, truly blood-bought, redeemed people who are freaking out about life's comforts. People that have been redeemed and saved by the grace of God, who I watch engage in this freak-out session of our nation, and it's about their comfort because it somehow comes back to how it affects them, which is where all of our passion and policy comes from. How does it affect me and my rights? Self, most of it, although not all of it, is a direct relationship of how it'll affect me. And as far as I can tell in the scriptures, life following Jesus is a narrow road and it's not an easy one. It's not in this world. It's full of trials and tribulations and problems. And it's a life, hear this, it's a life that foregoes comfort. If that's bad news to you today, it is the best news for you to follow Jesus. But that's what it is, a life that we are to forego comfort. Because one, comfortable can ruin, and I want you to hear this, comfortable can ruin our hearts. It trains us in two things, selfishness and complacency. Selfishness and complacency. Selfishness because we learn to get what we want and you watch the younger generation, generation that is rising up and we call them entitled for good reason. It's been modeled to them. They are selfish, not all of them, but many of them because they expect a certain set of things. And you've seen that recently when you don't get those certain set of things. Here is the outcome. And complacency because comfort will always keep us on the couch. It really will, instead of in the mission field. And I'm not just talking about third world overseas missions. I'm talking about comfort will always keep you on the couch of movement for where God wants to use you and your resources to go out into the world with what God has given you and tell others about the good news of Jesus, whatever that looks like, with whatever God has given you. And so that's where I hope we wind up today, that you and I would give everything we have to God, holding nothing back, to think better about how we have been given much and how we can use what we've been given. And if you're a true believer, truly redeemed, I mean spirit-filled, saved by grace, bought by the blood, new creation, this is how we should live. And if you don't know Christ personally yet, if you're here and you've never experienced His grace Never experienced true hope and joy. The gospel is for you today as it is for me today to remind myself and brothers and sisters in here what we have been given in Christ. There is a Savior who loves us, who has paid for our sin. There is a hope beyond this earth and this life. And I pray you trust in the saving name of Jesus today. And it is from that salvation because of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone that you can be saved. And out of that, flows generosity. The text in Nehemiah 5 gives us this picture of a man whose heart was generous. We see that, as I mentioned last week, Nehemiah has this holy discontent. He sees something happening. It's outrageous. It's an outcry. He is angered, not with a bad, sinful anger, but a righteous anger of of which will lead him to action because these people are being taken advantage of and these people are being overtaxed and they're settling in a bit. So people in the Jewish community are getting complacent here and they're starting to get very selfish and greedy. 
and it increases here. And generosity, as it always does, gets pushed out to the sides, to the margins, when we get comfortable and complacent and selfish. People here in verses 3 through 5 are having to mortgage fields to supply for food. They're feeling this oppression. And this is from their own people. Think about that. This is crazy. These people, in verse 5, it tells us that they feel like they're being owned, in a sense. That, that, that their brothers own them, in a sense. And this overwhelming selfishness that is increasing in this culture has people that are being taken advantage of. And Nehemiah just says, there's enough of this. And it sparks action. And he acts, in verse 6, on this anger to do something about it. I was very angry when I heard their outcry. And so in verse 7, he says, I took counsel with myself. I thought about, and this is very much when you see something in this world that you want to go in towards an act, and and you say, I want to do something. I took counsel. I got before God, and I got before his word, and I said, God, what do you want me to do in this? It's a little heart check for all of us. Sometimes we as God's people get upset by injustices. We really do. Sometimes we are moved by stories of orphans and foster kids needing a home, and we watch a video, and we look at statistics, and we say, wow, that, is just, that should just make me pause and think, and that's not right. That's not right. We have been given much. That's not good. But the question I'm asking today is, what are we, as an individual people and as a church, going to do about it? And I'll warn you in this. Do not make the excuse immediately, you have to work through this, that I'm just, I'm not, my life isn't for, don't box God out and what he could do in your heart in that. Where's the action going to come from? Nehemiah acted on it. He went to the people and stood against them and encouraged generosity instead of greed. The people conceded because of that. They let the tax go. They made a covenant not to do it anymore. In many ways, they made this covenant to be generous. And in verse 12, you see that as this promise has been made, all agreement has been made. It's so serious that Nehemiah acts, and he undoes the the cloak, the fold in his cloak as a symbolic gesture of this is a covenant we're making together to be generous people. And whoever is not generous, let him be shook out and emptied. And he does this thing And Nehemiah is doing a little weeding, if you will, in a Christian community of people that aren't being generous or those who are saying, let's covenant together to be generous. And he wanted God's people to take care of one another and help those who were less fortunate. And he was trusting that God would remove anyone that didn't operate that way to shake them out and to empty them. So it is in God's kingdom. God has supplied everything, and he has done this for a reason. You have to know that. He gives us supply so that you can use it to advance his work in the world, not so that you and I can be comfortable. Nehemiah modeled that. You know, it's one thing for somebody to just talk about that, and it's another thing for him to model it, and he did it as a leader. From verses 14 to 19 in chapter 5, we see that he did not take advantage of all the resource that was allotted to him as governor. He was in a place positioned by God, and yet he didn't take advantage of all that. Verse 15 tells us that he could have collected more tax, more food, and he didn't take us. But I want you to see the end of verse 15. He did it because he didn't want burdens on the people, but I want you to see the end. He says it this way, 
The former governors who, had, who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. But why? Because of the fear of God. And I want that to settle into your heart. Because of the fear of God. Why was Nehemiah so extremely careful to steward well all that God had given him? Because of the fear of God. That's huge. He did not want to display a selfishness before the God who had put his hand out for him and for his people. And he did not want to do that, so he was very careful to steward well what he had been given, all driven by a healthy and reverent and worshipful fear of God. And he didn't want to mess that up. And sometimes we say, and I've said this too, because we don't want to scare the kids. Fear of God is not a scary thing because God is love and he invites you. But fear of God is kind of a scary thing. Because God says, this is what I want you to do. That's his word in obedience. This is what I want you to, how to, want you to live. And we should pause instead of the way we sometimes flippantly treat God's word and say, maybe that should really be done. Maybe I should be thoughtful about that. Maybe I should be careful and wise because God is holy and perfect. Maybe that should cause a little bit of fear in me. Why would I want to displease him? He commanded his people to give first fruits all throughout the scriptures. Even the book of Nehemiah, if you just go ahead, and we're not going to cover all this, but if you read ahead into chapter, 20, into chapter 10, when the people make a covenant to rebuild and restore, they say this in Nehemiah 10.35, we obligate ourselves to bring first fruits of our ground and first fruits of every tree year by year. Later in the chapter, he links this tithe offering specifically to the house of God. So many people get nervous when I start talking about money, but it's always in the scriptures because our hearts want to have comfort and stuff and things. And those things aren't bad per se, but if they are an idolatry of sorts, then they are stealing from us in what God wants to do. It's a biblical principle, and there's no need for me to apologize about talking about tithing or being generous to dance around it. And, and I'm sorry if you've had a bad view of money in the church before, but we as a people ought to be generous, and we ought to bring our tithes to God as a way to say, this is from your hand, and I trust you in it. Tithing 10% is, is biblical. The act of giving and generosity in general, is driven by the word of God. God told his people to do it and be blessed. And he told his people to do it because he knew our hearts and how we'd be attached to wealth and resource. It's a sign of trust and faith in a supplier. And when you don't do it, and I'm going to say this, you should fear him in a sense. Because what you're essentially saying is, I'm going to do this my way. Let me ask the question this way to help us understand perspective. Does the fear of God control your checkbook balance? That's a hard question. Does the fear of God control your checkbook balance? And I use checkbook balance as, as, as a general brushstroke on all that God has given you. Does the fear of God control your resource? All that you manage, all that you steward, all the money, all the time, all the gifts and talents that God has given you, that's a broad stroke on all those things. Does the fear of God control that? 
or perhaps something else controls it. Maybe your comfort, maybe fear of man, maybe fear of government and shutdown, maybe fear of big unexpected bills, maybe fear of health insurance hikes. I am with you in that. I'm here to tell you this morning one thing. Just give up. That's encouraging, yes? I want to tell you to give up. And what I mean by that, it has dual implication. Be generous. Truly generous. Dual implication here. One, giving is truly sacrificial. That means it has to hurt a bit. Sometimes a lot. It means you have to notice it. You have to be willing to part with something you really want often. That's the sacrifice part. You're making a sacrifice. It's not convenient. It's not easy. I have always known that since Carrie and I started biblically tithing as a family, that our hearts would be pulled towards that, that gift, if you will, in a way that says, man, it would be easier if we took that that we gave and put it towards this so we didn't have to like worry about this from month to month. And over time, as we gave and, and we decided we would give in our hearts, that, that God has de- like detached us from that because of many things, but because we know it is a blessing and honor to him, and it's an act of faith and trust in the provider and the supplier. And so our heart has kind of distanced away from the temptation to just, man, we wish like that. I mean, you go through this process in tithing. Well, I'll sign that, but I don't know if my heart's really there. And then as you give and are generous more, you see what God does in your heart, and you see that that is what we ought to be doing. And we see how much we've been given, and we see how God provides. Consequently, God has always proven himself, at least this is my story, in providing for us in every way, even when money is tight and often beyond that. And that's where the second meaning of give up means. Ultimately, it's done as an offering. To give up is to worship. It's to give upwards as an offering. One part is sacrifice, the other is offering. That's what we see later in Nehemiah as he's encouraging people to be generous and bring an offering of praise. That's what we see in the New Testament too. And I want to take us there as we're closing up our time this morning with the scripture that was read earlier. I believe that we should give up like the people of Macedonia gave up. You see, Nehemiah was generous because of the fear of God. And we should be too. But let me give you a more modern application, a more post-Jesus, if you will, not under the chains of the Old Testament law because a lot of people look at this generosity and they will say, yeah, that was just an Old Testament first fruit thing. And let me give you a more recent New Testament update of that, the grace version. The real reason we might give is because of the fear of God and our obedience. But true generosity comes when you and I understand the grace of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. We read it earlier. This is what these people are doing. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test, listen to this, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. These are people that are being afflicted, testing. They are being tried. They have nothing And they are giving because they're overflowing with joy and generosity. And not only that, for they gave according to their means. Put yourself in here. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. To their own accord, of their own accord. They gave more than they could actually give. That's what that means there. 
because God had been gracious to them, they actually gave more than they could give. They gave beyond it. But why? Why did they do that? You see it in verse 1 and you see it in verse 7 again. They were overwhelmed by the grace of God. These people understood the grace of God, what they had been given in salvation, and that had changed their hearts, tore it away, if you will, from this world and all its treasure, and they gave generously to all things because of the grace of God. They were compelled by it. They had been given so much by God. They had been given salvation. They had been caught in death and in hopelessness and sin and transgression and all of this. And they said, God has been gracious. He has given us eternal life. It was grace. It wasn't deserved. And it was overwhelming. And that compelled them to give up and be generous. So let me ask you, follow up the earlier question, does the fear of God control your checkbook balance with this one? Does the grace of God control your checkbook balance? Friends, I am with you. As I prepared in this message, I was deeply convicted about all that God has given me and how am I leveraging that for his work. You and I have been given so much and if we are in this country, we have been given more than many in the world. And we can be generous with it. We can give up in sacrifice and offering. Getting real practical as we close, there are many ways that you and I can respond to this. Maybe you haven't done this, but one of the ways you can respond is to start tithing biblically towards a ministry, this ministry and others. I don't care where, to give 10% of your first fruits towards God. It should be the very first check that you write out, and that's the trust-faith part. It's not the pay all my bills, make sure I'm safe and cared for. God will care for you. I don't, I don't know one person that I can look to who has been generous in a biblical way and has gotten punished for it. I just doesn't exist. God is not that God. It should be governed by the fear and grace of God, and it'll be painful at first. It'll be sacrifice, and it will require faith. We have many in here who do that, who are generous and who really, really exemplify faith when they, when they trust God. Some of us have less means to do that than others. That's one way. There are many other ways to be generous driven by the grace of God. We have orphan kids and foster kids that we just heard about. And I'm going to ask that you could open your home to. Maybe you didn't plan on hearing that this morning as you came. But do you have resource to do that? We have so much, and, and this is this awareness of what we've been given. What can we do to use it? Maybe that's not in your plan. That's not a, a convenient thing at all. Will it require sacrifice? sacrifice? You bet it will. But we need action in this as a church body to play a part in this. That's a way you can be generous. Look around your life and see what God has blessed you with and leverage it with generosity. What do you have that others don't? What gifts do you have? What talents do you have that others don't? All your resources for God's glory. And there's other ways you can be generous to have your eyes open to the needs around you. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. You see, because I believe some things. I believe God is a generous God. He has given us so much in the work and person of Jesus Christ for our salvation. I also believe that the Bible teaches that God wants us to be the most generous people who walk the face of the earth. 
I also believe that God wants me to be generous, to model that. And finally, I want, I, I believe that God wants us to be a church that models generosity because of his great and generous grace. I want to do something that might be super uncomfortable for you, but I want to close our time by taking an action step towards this, and I realize that this might be super uncomfortable for some of you, and it's not intended to do that, but what I want you to do as a symbolic gesture is to come forward. There's envelopes all on this stage, and I want you to come forward, and I want you to take one. And so I'm going to ask that you do that now. Just get up and take one of these envelopes on stage if you could come forward as a step of action to be a generous giver. I know what you're thinking right now. Are you kidding me? He's called for a live offering on the spot. But I want you to know what's in these envelopes. There is gift money. If you open them up, you can open them up now. There is gift money in these envelopes. And we want to encourage generosity as a people. We want our church to be a generous church. And so I don't know what your heart did when I called you up, but we're not asking you to give today. We're asking you to be generous with others. We're not asking you to give to this ministry per se. We're asking you to be generous with the money that's inside this envelope. Let me explain that a little bit. I want you to go and use this money outside of the church preferably. I don't want you to to look inside as much, although there might be uh, ways that you can bless people inside the church, but I want you to look with compassionate eyes out into the world to use this money as a resource, a seed money thing to, to, to make you a generous person. I want you first to pray about it. What would God have me and my family do with this? I want you to treat it, if you would, like seed money. Maybe I add to this. Maybe I get together with other people in our church. Maybe we combine efforts and we are really prayed about whether a neighbor or friend, someone who doesn't know Christ, that we would take this and help meet a need somehow. Maybe we give it somehow to mission. Do not use this money to pay for treats today, okay? That's not what it's for. But we really want to be a generous church. And as a leadership, we prayed about this and talked about this and said, why don't we take some of what God has given us and put it out into the world? We have money sitting there in a way. Why don't we, and again, we gave financial updates too, but we want people in our church to be generous. Maybe it's about orphan and foster care. Maybe this represents a small amount of seed money that starts an adoption process for you. That's expensive. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what God would do in your heart. But I know that this money is just a way to prompt you for us as leaders to encourage and increase generosity in the church. Don't squander it. Don't spend it on the fundraiser today. And honestly, if you feel like you can't handle the temptation of having this because I think, man, I might just take this and and use it for myself, then just return it to the stage. There'll be no questions asked about that. If you know your own heart and you know you need to do that, that's another application. Don't borrow against it. Don't go out to lunch with it today and say, I'll pay myself back into the envelope. Use this money symbolically for what God would have you do as you go and be generous. Because of the grace of God. Church, we have been given much, haven't we? We can go and use it and be a generous people. So I don't know what God is going to do in your heart. I don't know what he's going to say to you about this, but take this envelope. If you have a family of children, take this, do it today. Pray around the table. Say, guys, I know we're going to do that. Say, what do you want to, what do you want 
What do you think God wants us to do with this? What do you think he wants us to do with this money? To add to it, to give it to this person, to do this thing with it? Whatever it is, be led by God, trusting him, and use that as a way that you can be more generous from this day forward. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I praise you that you are so good and gracious. You are so good to me. Having redeemed my life as a young child and, and Father, in many ways, I confess my selfishness at times. I've, I've squandered resources you've given me and I've looked to myself before others. And Father, I pray that you would change my heart as you're continuing to change it to look out into this world that needs Jesus. And Father, this is just money. It's, it's just the manna of the earth in a sense of paying bills and, and trading and doing all these things. But, but there is power in what you could do as you are the owner of all things with resource from God's people. Father, that we would be a church that would give because of the grace of Christ in our lives and that we would be a church that gives beyond what we could give because of the grace in our lives. So Father, would you bless us as a people today, remind us of how good we have it. I know there are some in this room that probably struggle, but they would look to you and say, I'm going to be generous anyways because you're so generous to me. And Father, that our church would take this big step forward. We have many generous people in, that, in this church already that we would increase, that we would challenge each other. And Father, that you would be just blessed by all that this money goes out and does. I pray for that especially as this is in our hands, that, that you would go before us and bless all those who would receive it. And that, Father, lives would be changed because of it. This is such a small act, $25 in an envelope. But Father, it could lead somebody to salvation. We know that you could do that even through the exchange of a gift like this. Father, let us be prayerful in how to use this gift and let us be generous. We do fear you, we worship you in reverence, and we also are aware of the abundant grace in your life. And I pray that if someone doesn't know that grace, that they would know it at the cross today, that there is forgiveness of sin and salvation and, redemptive, and redemption to be found at the cross of Christ, that he bought us by his blood. And we praise him for it now and pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said,